Welcome to Hallowed, Exploring the Lives of the Saints. Episode 33, Nine Sisters. I'm your host, Tom Thorne, and in this podcast, I'll be taking you on a journey through the lives, adventures, trials, and triumphs of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Today we'll be talking about a legendary saints from the early church, whose obscure but exciting story of roguish adventure has traveled thousands of miles around the world. The Roman Virgin and Martyr, Saint Cateria. Cateria was born in what's now northern Portugal, but was then the Roman province of Lusitania, near the city of Braga, or Bracara Augusta, as it was called in Roman times, sometime in the 2nd century AD. Now, the Romans had ruled over the Iberian Peninsula all the way back to the time of the Roman Republic for hundreds of years by this point. So it really makes the most sense to call Cateria a Roman rather than Portuguese or any other modern nationality. The nations of Portugal and Spain and the various languages of the Iberian Peninsula had not developed at this point in history. Cateria would definitely have seen herself as a Roman. Anyway, the story takes place sometime during the Roman period, probably in the 100s or the 2nd century AD. But we don't really have clear dates here because we're dealing with legend rather than history. As you'll see, many elements of Cateria's story feel a bit more like a fairy tale than an accurate telling of events, so I'll leave it up to you how much you choose to believe or not believe. As always, with the lives of these early Christian saints, so much has been passed on through oral tradition that was only written down much, much later, long into the Middle Ages and beyond. So, it's really up to us to sift through the evidence and decide what we think sounds plausible to us. Take it or leave it, but it's a good story with a good message, and Kateria is a real Christian saint. Though there are many versions of this story, owing to the aforementioned oral traditions, the main telling goes that Kateria's mother was a Roman patrician, a noblewoman named Calcia, the wife of the Roman governor of Lusitania. Calcia, most unexpectedly for a woman in her station, gave birth to nonuplets, that is, nine children, all of them girls in this case, all at once. Cateria was the oldest, followed by her sisters Euphemia, Liberata, Gemma, Genebra, Germana, Basilisa, Marica, and Victoria. Now, this is biologically possible. There are a few modern cases of nonuplets, you can read about them in the news. But of course, it's extremely rare, and it would almost certainly have killed a mother in the ancient world. But, according to the story, Kateria's mother did survive. So, if you believe the tale, you might consider that the saint's first miracle. Celcia, her mother, as I mentioned, was a wealthy patrician. 
and she was also, like most women of her class, a pagan, not a Christian. By this time in Roman history, hardly any wealthy pagans were having kids. Very few wealthy Romans in the late Republican Empire bothered to have children, let alone many children. Her mother was disgusted with her nine children. She saw them as a litter of animals, freaks of nature that might be born to a peasant woman or a slave, but not to a patrician noble. Adding to this, Calcia might have been afraid that her husband, the governor of Lusitania, would have thought that she'd cheated on him with some kind of god or demon. I mean, who else could give a woman nine kids at once? Either way, Calcia gave her nine daughters to a maid to drown in a river. In most versions of the story, this is the Rio Minho, along the modern-day border of Portugal and Spain. Now, I know this sounds extreme, and it is, but sadly, it was not far from real pagan practice in ancient Rome, and for that matter, in many other parts of the world. Infant exposure, that is, the killing of children using the natural environments, is a very ancient form of population control used by many cultures. Poor Romans might have killed their kids because they saw them as hungry mouths to feed. Wealthy Romans might have killed their kids because they saw them as a social embarrassment. We can be very thankful that Christianity came along to defy this habit, banning child murder in all its forms, and, in the process, saving the Roman people from demographic extinction. Anyway, the maid, whose name was Scylla, turned out to be a Christian, and she was obviously unwilling to kill the kids. So she gave them to a fellow Christian, who was either a monk or a peasant woman in the countryside, depending on the version of the story. And this fellow Christian raised the nine daughters in the faith. We don't hear anything more about them until they grew up, when Roman officials started asking them to perform the routine idolatry expected of all citizens of the empire, sacrifices which were to be offered to pagan idols. Needless to say, the nine girls refused. As I mentioned at the start, this story is usually thought to be set in the 2nd century AD. This was the height of the Roman Empire, the age of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, when the empire's authority stretched from Britain to the Middle East. Under the rule of generally wise, benevolent, and capable emperors, often called the Five Good Emperors, this was not a time of widespread persecution of Christians, like the troubled days of the 3rd and early 4th centuries that would follow. But, even in the Halcyon days of the 2nd century, Christians could still get into trouble with the law and risk martyrdom for failing to make pagan sacrifices. The law, after all, was the law, whether or not emperors chose to enforce it. Rather infamously, the best of these emperors, 
Marcus Aurelius, the Philosopher King, is thought to have begun a local persecution of Christians in the south of Gaul, that's modern-day France, and to have killed St. Justin Martyr, one of the greatest philosophers of the early church, during his reign in the later 2nd century. It's widely considered the black stain on his otherwise near-spotless record as an emperor. Based on this, I would guess that Kateria's story probably takes place in the reign of Marcus Aurelius, sometime in the second half of the second century, but don't quote me on it. Like I said, it's a legend, we're not really sure. I've heard some place her story as late as the 5th century, but that makes absolutely no sense. The Empire had been Christian for over a hundred years before then, and no one was getting killed for defying pagans in the 400s AD. Also, by that time the Empire was falling apart. It's not like the governor of a far-flung province like Lusitania would have had that kind of power by the 5th century, if there had even been a Roman governor in the region at all. Anyway, that's the historian in me. I don't want to get pedantic on you. For their refusal to sacrifice to the old gods, the girls were dragged before the governor of Lusitania, who, as we know, turned out to be their dad. Recognizing them at once, the governor took them home and celebrated the return of his daughters, as you would expect. But, his mood started to sour when he learned that his daughters had become obstinate Christians and would never agree to marry good pagan army officers like he'd arranged for them. Their dad grew so frustrated with their continued refusal to bow to the old religion and to accept perfectly respectable marriages to rich pagan men that he eventually imprisoned them in a tower no doubt, I would imagine, hoping to scare them out of their faith. But the nine sisters managed to escape with the help of an angel, and they even freed the other Christians who were being held captive there. The girls fled into the rugged hills that now make up the Pineda Gerash National Park in Portugal. You can find photos of this place online. It's quite a gorgeous area full of wooded valleys and secluded hidden streams, wild moors of golden grass, the perfect place for hiding out from the authorities. There, Kateria and her sisters lived atop a mountain and spent their time in prayer, until the Romans caught up with her. She was arrested and dragged back to prison, where her dad repeated the offer, get married, or spend the rest of your life rotting in jail. But Kateria didn't take it, needless to say. Instead, she set about converting the other prisoners to Christianity, before being freed by an angel a second time and fleeing back into the mountains with her new Christian companions. Seeing that there were many other innocent Christians falling victim to the authorities, Kateria and her sisters began a kind of guerrilla campaign to rescue Christian prisoners. You can imagine them now, falling upon caravans of Roman soldiers in lightning raids, charging down from the mountains like Amazons, liberating the Christian captives, and then disappearing again, 
off into the hills. During these adventures in the wilderness, Kateria is said to have cured rabid dogs with her holy words of power, no doubt taming them and perhaps keeping them as companions as well. This has made her the patron saint of rabies victims, among other causes. The quest of the Nine Sisters went on for years, but eventually, several of them were captured, including Kateria herself. Dragged once more before their father, he finally decided enough was enough, and had them executed. Being Roman citizens, they had the legal rights to a swift and painless death. Not so flippant as it may sound, given how the Romans dealt with foreigners and slaves. Kateria and her sisters were beheaded, and their bodies were thrown into the sea. But, according to Portuguese legend, shortly after her death, the locals along the seaside saw Kateria rising from the ocean, holding her own severed head in her hands, before disappearing as a ghost into the next life. What should we make of this legend that feels so much like a fairy tale? Well, like many stories from the ancient church, I don't think we need to believe that all the details are literally true to find deeper meaning within them. The story of Kateria and her sisters being born to a mother who did not want them, for example, is hauntingly reminiscent of the world we live in today. In almost every developed nation around the world, in Europe, Asia, North America, you name it, it's seen as freakish, weird, crazy to have more than a few kids. I'm not saying, by the way, that every couple is called to have a big family. Obviously, that's between them and God. But when you reach the point where many wealthy countries are committing demographic suicide simply by not having enough kids to replace their own population, well, at that point you know there's a problem. Anecdotally, among my own generation, I'm a millennial, it's perfectly common to hear people describe children, especially babies, as gross, and talk about how they'd never imagined having one themselves. It's become normal, acceptable, sometimes the only respectable thing to do for couples to focus on their careers and their social lives at the expense of raising a family. All of this would have sounded eerily familiar to wealthy Romans of Gateria's day. Her mother, whether or not she really had non-uplets, was no exception to the rule of the time. Roman couples, by this point in history, were going down the same pathway that modern developed countries have been going down for several decades, the path of not having enough children to replace themselves. A notable exception who bucked the trend was Marcus Aurelius and his wife Faustina. They ended up having 14 kids, absolutely remarkable for the time, or really for any time. But that was because they were deeply in love with one another, from what we can tell, 
and really wanted to have a large family, setting that example of classical virtue and a good family life for their subjects. But the great majority of Romans paid no attention. They tittered at people who had too many kids, like so many wealthy people do today. And they went on, dare I say, contracepting themselves out of existence, until the Christian faith came along and saved them from self-imposed collapse. So yes, even though it's a fairy tale of sorts, I think there's a lot we can learn from studying the life of St. Kateria. Her world was not as far from ours as we may like to imagine. It's well worth remembering, especially today, that every child, wanted or unwanted, has a chance to be a saint. Today, Kateria is mostly remembered in churches throughout Portugal, Galicia in the northwest of Spain, and Gascony in the south of France. But she's also honored most highly, all the way on the other side of the world, in the South Indian state of Tamilnad, where her legend has been preserved intact in a Tamil language manuscript. I can't read the manuscript, and there seems to be no English translation out there, so if any Tamil speakers are listening, then you know you have your work cut out for you you may find some new twists to the story of St. Kateria. Her cult in Tamil Nadu is based in a fishing village called... Apologies to any Tamil speakers listening. <clears throat> Kutanukuri. I'm sure I butchered it. Where the faith was introduced by Portuguese missionaries and found a wide reception among the local people. As far as I've been able to tell, not being able to read the Tamil language and all, the Catholics of this village honor St. Kateria with a nine-day festival leading up to her feast day every May. It's quite a big affair, the sort of celebration which has sadly died out in many parts of Catholic Europe, but which we really ought to revive. I found a video of this festival, which you can watch for yourself, through a link in the show notes. St. Kateria is commemorated on the 22nd of May in the Catholic Church. She is the patroness of rabies victims, several towns around the world, and I think we might also pray to her for persecuted Christians and those working to set them free, given her story as a guerrilla fighter rescuing imprisoned Christians. I would also say that she's a good patroness for parents with unexpected children and for children whose parents don't want them. If you would like to learn more about St. Kateria and foster your own devotion to her, then I've included links, as always, to prayers and other resources in the show notes. There you'll also find links to our Patreon, where you can support the show, and to my email, where you can suggest future episodes. May St. Kateria, virgin and martyr, along with her eight sisters, come to our aid now and always for the greater glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, and God bless.